This is God's word from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How are you doing? Good? Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City Bible Church. I want to say welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining us. Glad you're here. Uh, and if you happen to be new, a uh, special welcome to you. One of our sincere hopes and desires is that you would not just uh, join with us uh, for a Sunday morning worship gathering, but that you would actually uh, find a place that's welcoming and inviting into the community, into the people of God, the family of God. That's one of our deep convictions, deep beliefs, is that the church is not an event you attend. It's a, it's a people, a family that you belong to. And so whatever burdens you come in carrying today, whatever questions you might have, whatever fears you might be facing, my hope and our hope is that you would find this to be a safe and a welcoming place for you to get plugged in and connected. And if you're interested in doing that, here's a couple of quick ways that you can get uh, just some more information or get the conversation started. You got handed a connect card. You should have when you came through the door. You can fill that out, drop it in the offering basket a little bit later in the service. You can send a, a text message. And actually, you know, I realized that we put that up there. A lot of people don't get service in here, which is a great joy uh, when I'm trying to preach and y'all can't check Instagram, but it's also a bit of a downer when we say like, hey, text us. You're like, I don't get service. So probably the best way then, which is not Wi-Fi dependent, is go out to the Connect Desk and talk with one of the great uh, volunteers out there or one of our staff members, Myung. We'd love to talk with you, just get to know you, hear your story, and find ways to get you connected and plugged in. And and for all of you, whether you're new or, or, or you've been here for a while, a great way to get plugged in and connected would be actually to attend something we got happening next Sunday afternoon, which is our annual tradition of the beach barbecue and baptism. Anybody here excited about seeing some people get baptized and, and eating some food together? Yeah, it's going to be a great time. It's supposed to be warm. That doesn't affect the waters of the Puget Sound. They're still going to be freezing. And so like usual, we get to find out who really loves Jesus. But no, I'm, I'm just teasing. Uh, but this is a great way for us uh, as a community to celebrate new life in Jesus. People go into the water to identify with Jesus' death. They come up out of the water to identify with his resurrection. We're all there because this is a recognition of their inclusion in the people of God and the family of God. And so this is an exciting time. This is really one of our favorite events of the year. If you've not been baptized in obedience to Jesus and in, in an expression of belonging to him and following him, please do so. Before you leave today, come talk to myself, come talk to one of the other elders. We'd love to just kind of walk you through what that means. You can go sign up at the Connect Desk. I had somebody after the 9 a.m. service said, I'll see you next Sunday in those cold waters. I praise God. It's going to be exciting. So come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to one of the other pastors. If you're a parent of a child who's kind of wrestling through, should I be baptized or not? Please come find one of us. We'd love to talk with you and include you in, uh, include us in that conversation as well so that we can help you uh, kind of know how best just to lead and love and, and shepherd your, your youngest one. So with that said, we are today finishing our Summer in the Psalms series. This has been for us uh, an opportunity to take a break from the Gospel of John, but to look at 
Another really important book of the Bible, obviously we haven't gone through the entire book of Psalms. Uh, it's the largest book in the Bible. We've just been doing some selections, and I preached some of them. Uh, we had Pastor Shane preach one. We did a psalm service with no sermon about a month ago. You guys remember that? That was I don't know if I told you about that. No sermon. And we had a couple of guest preachers, and uh, last but certainly not least today, I get to introduce you to my friend, Pastor Joel Brown from Resurrection Church in Tacoma. Uh, I mentioned last week with my friend Rich, so when, when my family moved from Alaska to Seattle, that was kind of a big moment for us, a big transition in our lives. So I introduce you to a friend from my former life overseas in Alaska, and I get to introduce you today to a friend who I met literally the, the first week that we moved to Seattle. Joel and I served together for a brief little while at, uh, what was at the time, Ballard, the Ballard campus of Mars Hill Church. Uh, I ended up being down in Tacoma, pastoring down there for a few years, and when I moved up to the Linwood shoreline area, he was moving down to Tacoma. We high-fived on I-5. He took over for me there, what's now Resurrection Church, and they're working with our good friend, uh, my good friend Bubba Jennings, and uh, so he's been down there for the last four years, and actually, some of you might know, uh, we have music in common as well, and you know, the song, um, we, we sing it pretty often, My God, My Father, uh, it's an old hymn that Joel actually is responsible for rewriting and giving that one to us. So there's a little bit about Joel. I really, I really appreciate this guy. I love him dearly, and I'm really excited for you to hear what he has to say today. Uh, so I'm going to invite Joel. Why don't you come on up? And he's preaching from my second favorite psalm today, so I'm really excited to, to hear this. So not my first favorite. I wouldn't let anybody do that. Tell you what, I'm going to pray for Joel. Would you, if you want to just join with me, if you feel comfortable, you can stretch out your hand. We're going to pray over our brother Joel and, and ask God to do what, what God wants to do here today. So God, thank you for uh, Pastor Joel, thank you for uh, Resurrection Church sharing him with us today. God, thank you for our friends down there in the South Sound, and thank you for uh, just this good reminder that we're part of the one capital C church, all who worship Jesus and open the scriptures and follow him. And, and, and God, what a, what a joy it is to have brothers and, and people from even other congregations to be here and serve today. And so God, for Joel, I pray that you'd strengthen him. I pray you'd refresh him. I pray you'd give him uh, just the exact right words to say. God, I pray for each of us who are gathered here today to listen. Would you give us soft and, and teach teachable and receptive hearts. And may Jesus get the glory of our time here today. May we experience joy in your presence. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everybody said, amen. All right, church, can we uh, give a big welcome to Pastor Joel Brown? Thank you. Thank you. Am I on? I think I'm on. Okay, we're good. Okay. Oh, there we are. I couldn't hear it at first. Well, uh, as Pastor Aaron just said, that this is his second favorite psalm. So I told the first service, if I butcher it, you'll know it because he will change the sermon series next week and he will preach this one the way it's supposed to be preached, um, which I'm pretty sure he's going to do. Um, but uh, have you guys been enjoying the summer in the psalms? Man, as Resurrection Church, we've done this a couple of summers, and so we, I, I know that I really enjoy it. And the Psalms are actually a book that has been super formative for me, probably the most important book in my spiritual formation over the years. Uh, but, but also what's interesting about the Psalms is that Jesus' earthly life and ministry were so enveloped in the Psalms. He, he prayed the Psalms. He sang the Psalms. The Psalm the Psalms ministered to him, and he even fulfilled their words. And so as we open up this Psalm, we'll see Jesus' fingerprints all over it, uh, and, and we'll highlight some of those as we go through it. Now, like many of the Psalms, uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, it's a really big book. There are like 150 of them. I think roughly half were written by King David, and he's the author of this one as well. And you might have noticed if you have a Bible and you saw as it was being read, at the very top of it, it says, a miktam of David. A miktam of David, and all of us go, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and, and really, a miktam is just like a handcrafted sculpture. That's what, that's what it's trying to tell you. It's a handcrafted sculpture. And the reason why this is important is because what you get to know when you learn that is that this is not just some like doctrinal uh, statement or some kind of intellectual assent that David is writing out here. This is actual experience. This is authentic. It's like the craft beer of poetry, okay? This is, this is from his own heart and his own life. And David is a man that was said to be a man after God's own heart. And so we get to see just a little bit of God's heart through David in this 
psalm. And, and through this, if I were just to identify what I think the primary message of this psalm is, it's just that we find everlasting joy only in God's presence. We find everlasting joy only in God's presence. And through this psalm, David teaches us a, a few things that I want to look at. First, why to seek God's presence, how to seek God's presence, and then what happens when we don't seek God's presence. So if you're a note taker, I, I think I heard that one of you guys was, yeah. Uh, go ahead and just write those things down. Why to seek God's presence, how to seek God's presence, and what happens when we don't seek God's presence. Let's start with why to seek God's presence. In verse 11, David says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. That's why we seek God's presence. Have you ever known someone who is a joy to be around? Like, Like someone that you're just happy being with them. You don't need an excuse to get together. You just like being around one another. Uh, if, if you have, well, then you might also know that there's something slightly sad about that, and that is that you can't be together all the time. Because <laughs> there are other things that you have to do in life besides just hang out with that person, right? Maybe as I bring that up, you're thinking of a friend that had to move away, or a sibling who's died, or something like that, or maybe even, even just something that most, many of us experience throughout the week, a common thing, a spouse that has to go to work. In all of those things, the joy of someone's presence goes away with them. I mean, you can look back on all the moments that you've spent together, and and there's a certain sense of joy that comes from that, but you can't actually be in their presence forever, can you? You have to be a part at, at different times, but it's not that way with God. It's not that way with God. If you know him, God's presence is always with you. Always. Now, I'm not speaking of God's omnipresence, which is also true and important. That, that basically means that God is not bound by space or time, and so he's kind of everywhere all at once. Really important, but not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the same kind of presence that David is referring to in this psalm, and that is God's covenantal relational presence. The Hebrew word that's translated presence here literally means to be before the face of God. It's relationship, being close to him. And God made us to be in his presence continually forever. And, and it's, it's our deepest longing in the human heart. He wants relationship with everyone, and everyone, whether they know it or believe it, wants relationship with him. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was at home. I don't know why I start that sentence that way every time. I was at home a few years ago. That's a better way to say it. And uh, I was making a snack for our family. My wife and my, two, my twin daughters were off somewhere else in the house. And I love cooking. And when I do cook, I kind of have to protect myself from self-diagnosed ADD. Uh, and so I kind of get this tunnel vision so that I make sure that I'm not trying to do everything all at once, which is my habit when I'm cooking. And so I'm really focused in on what I'm doing, and I begin to hear this thud f- from about 10 feet behind me. And this continues to happen every, every second or two. And it also, it, it, it's preceded by kind of a whooshing sound. It's like a And as tunnel vision as I was, I was curious, so I had to give up on on making this snack. And I turned around, and my son Eli, who at the time was five years old, was behind me, and he was doing this. And he was jumping through the air and grabbing onto it, and I, I was honestly a little worried about him at the time. I was confused, but I just let it go on, and it went on for, I don't know, a minute or two. And after a while, I, I just paused and I said, hey, buddy, are you okay? What's going on? And he keeps going. He doesn't stop right away. But finally, he stops and, and he just gets this big smile on his face. And he goes, I'm hugging God. <laughs> <laughs> and so I scolded him. 
I said, God's omnipresence doesn't work that way. Get your theology right. Um, Just kidding. Look at how much, look at how much he gets it. He gets it. And I think this is a good example of why God calls us to come to him as little children. And why he's revealed himself to us as a loving father. So we can put our arms around him in complete and total love and desire to be in relationship with him. I mean, you don't have to jump up and down and physically put your arms around him. Although, I think it would be kind of interesting if after the service we all did that out in the foyer. Um, But building a relationship with someone takes work. It takes investment. You have to spend time with them. You have to talk to them and listen to them. And with God, the living God... Think about this. You can do it 24-7. 24-7. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And my guess is there may be a number of reasons why you would say I wouldn't do it for X, Y, and Z. But, but maybe some of you are saying I, I would like to. I just really don't know how. But that's okay because remember this psalm is authentic it's the craft beer of poetry, right? And so David is being real with us and he's, he's going to share with us some really specific ways that he seeks God's presence throughout his life. In all times, in all places. And so we have a lot we can learn from him now. And I'm just going to list off a few of the things that I see in this text. How to seek God's presence. Number one. Embrace the reality that the only good in this world is from him and found in him. Verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So friends, God is infinite and he is good. And so he is infinitely good. He is infinitely good. And the more that we believe that and the more that we seek to find goodness in him and in him alone, the more we experience his presence, the more we enjoy his presence. For me personally, probably the number one way for me to do this is just to spend time out in the great outdoors, just spend time enjoying God's creation and just seeing his hands in everything that he has done and and given to us. Number two, delight in his people. This comes from verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So why do we delight in God's people? Because he delights in them. We delight in God's people because he delights in them. And and some of you guys are going, yeah, but have you met God's people? (laughs) And, and it is fun to joke about how all people are a little bit difficult to do life with. And maybe Christians sometimes seem so more than most. But David, remember, he's being real with us. He really does delight in the saints. And I'll just say really quickly, the saints are not the guys with the big hats and the robes and all that stuff. Saints are anybody who trusts in Jesus and are part of his family, okay? So he really does delight in God's people. How can we have joy In God's people, because God's people are a conduit of his goodness. They're a conduit, really, even of his presence among us. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One, as we gather here together on Sundays in this bigger space, and we sing songs together, the Bible says that he actually dwells among the praises of his people. That we get to experience God's presence as all of us lift our voices together as one. And we affirm the truth about who he is together. And we celebrate him together. And we open up his word together. He's here with us. Present with us in a covenantal, relational way. Another way is when we gather in smaller communities I think you guys do that throughout the week in in people's homes. And we build relationship with one another. We actually get to experience greater degrees of joy in God's presence as we spend time together and build relationship. So number three, entrust your life to him. This is taken from verses five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So he says, you hold my lot. You hold my lot. My life is in your hands, God. In everything that I experience, the ups, the downs, the joys, the sorrows, all of it is from your good, loving, and sovereign hands. Because even when you suffer, even when you face adversity, when you are in the face of God, you can face anything. When you're before his face. So when you're in a relationship with God, your circumstances don't govern your joy. Your relationship with God governs your joy. I mean, I've seen, and I'm guessing many of you have also seen, people who have faced terminal cancer with this unshakable joy, this unwavering commitment to God and their relationship with him in the middle of all of it. Entrust your life to him. Number four, how do we seek God's presence? We place him at the center of our life. This is taken from verses seven and eight. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart also instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So we see here that God is David's counselor. He's his personal counselor, even when he wakes up in the middle of the night. Why? Because David has set the Lord always before him. His orientation in life, in all that he does, is Godward. It's God-centered, God-focused. He's always seeking God's face. Number five, rejoice in him. This is from verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So celebrating God expresses our joy, but it also completes it. And here's what I mean by that. If you just think of anything or anyone that you find a lot of joy in, you enjoy a great deal. That joy isn't really complete until you begin to express it, right? This food that I'm eating, this person that I know, you want to you talk about how incredible that joy is. And the same thing is true for God as we speak about him, as we pray to him, as we sing to him, we actually experience joy and we grow in joy as we experience his presence. Number six, entrust your death to him. This is taken from verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. So entrusting our lives to God is important, as we mentioned a minute ago, but ultimately, we also need to entrust our death to God. Death is this great equalizer. We have no control over it. We don't know when we're going to die or how we are going to die. It's this thing that is really out of our hands, but it is in God's hands. And strangely, as terrible as death is, and as painful as it is, and how it's our great enemy, God can still use it to draw us into his presence. I got to witness this recently. I lost my dad this past year to Parkinson's disease. He was, he was 86 years old. He was a man who loved Jesus tremendously. Just absolutely loved Jesus. He knew that his soul was secure He knew what his hope was in this life and in his death. And he led us all as family members, as friends, to to hope in God in the middle of grieving his passing. And so we were reading scripture, we were praying, we were singing to him, we were just being there with him. And there was this just intense encounter of God's presence in the room as we did that. Why? Because we were grieving but we were grieving with hope. And that's what we get to do as Christians. We get to do that. We get to entrust our death to him because we know that God will not abandon our souls. David says here he won't abandon our souls to Sheol, which was an Old Testament understanding of the afterlife. No real easy way to explain how they understood that, but it's probably not quite as terrible as hell and probably not quite 
I don't know if it's terrible, but just it's not quite like purgatory. It's just this whole other thing. But, but David's saying, uh, he's not going to abandon our souls after this life and in the next one. And what he's doing, friends, is he's pointing us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This verse is quoted almost more than any other psalm in the New Testament because it's showing us that Jesus would one day rise. And it's showing us that our future hope and the reason why we can grieve with hope and the reason why we can entrust our death to him is because we will one day rise and we will be in his presence forever. Amen? So doesn't this all sound great? All these different how-tos that we can get from David? how to be in God's presence, seek God's presence. The only problem is that every one of us in this room, to varying degrees, struggle to actually put it all into practice, don't we? Can we all be honest here? We don't seek God's presence at all times. We just, we just don't. Because our relationship with him, it, it, it has sometimes where we feel really close to him, sometimes where we are not so much... And if in God's presence there's this fullness of joy, as David talks about, what happens when we don't seek God's presence? What happens when we're apart from that fullness of joy? Well, he, he actually tells us in verse 4. He says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The sorrows who those of those who run after another God shall multiply, it shall grow, it shall grow exponentially, in fact. Now, I'm guessing you guys, many of you have heard of John Calvin, old school theologian, big long beard, weird hat. I think he was like French or Swiss or something like that. Anyway, he, John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. It's an idol factory. Our hearts are constantly doing what this verse says, running after another God. And what it doesn't mean is like pagan church hopping. It doesn't mean that one week you're over at the uh, Buddhist temple and then the next week you're at the mosque. That's not what we're talking about here. Those are worshiping other gods, but that's not what it means. It's more like our hearts always being on the hunt for something to satisfy us, something to give us joy that will last forever. Always looking. And we're usually looking for that joy in good things. But what we do is we make these good things into ultimate things. We make them into God things. And what's the result? Multiplied sorrows. Not the joy that we were seeking. Earlier this week, I was, I was at the park across the street from our church building, and I love walking around there. It's like a three-mile walk. Great exercise. You guys know that sitting is the new smoking. You might have heard that. And I, I can't just sit in my office all day. I've got to get out there. I do all my meetings while I walk around the park with people. It's, it's fantastic. And earlier this week, I was there, and, uh, and we passed through this sort of pocket of the park. And I looked, and there was a group of maybe 20 people None of them looking at each other. They're all kind of facing in different directions. And they were all standing there like this. And then they would turn and walk like four feet and go like this. And then walk another four feet and go like this. And I was like, oh man, Pokemon Go is back. You guys remember Pokemon Go? A couple years ago, most popular video game ever or something like that. It's augmented reality, it says, right? So it's, it's trying to bring you into this uh, interaction with your current reality and augment it. Um, and these people were playing it completely distracted by what was going on around them. People have gotten obsessed with this game. You might have even heard of some of the tragedies, people being... Uh, severely injured as a result of paying attention to the game and not what was going on around them. Some people have even died uh, playing this game because they'd lost sight of the reality that was going on around them. The thing is, all people want to be distracted, don't we? 
we all want to fill our lives and our minds with some kind of constant escape and entertainment. We want to ceaselessly pursue the presence of other things besides God's presence. And I'm actually going to pick on a particular thing that we want to fill our lives with. And uh, Pastor Shane, I don't know if he's in the room right now, but earlier he's, he was telling Aaron Lynn that I was going to shame everybody for their technology. Well, I'm, I hope I don't shame you. That's not my goal. But I am going to talk about technology because I feel like it's just such a prevalent issue in our lives. What, maybe more than anything else in our culture, do we fill our space with, our lives with the presence of, other than God? I'm going to say technology. I'm going to say technology. But see, here's the thing. God didn't create us with a hole in our hearts the shape of Pokemon Go. <laughs> right? Our deepest desire is for relationship with him. And, and not just relationship with him, but relationship with other people, but first and foremost with himself. And so when we try and satisfy that desire with anything else, it just leads us down this road of multiplied sorrows. And so we, we get this picture when we start to understand this, that filling our lives with technology, this good thing, it's, it's a neutral thing, it's good, it can be very helpful. Filling our lives with this technology is taking that good thing and making it an ultimate thing, and it will never satisfy you, never. And you also begin to see how seeking happiness in anything apart from God will only lead you to that multiplied sorrows. It will lead you down the path not of life where God's presence is that David talks about in the psalm. But no, it will lead you down the path of multiplied sorrows and all the way down the path of death. And the problem is whether we play video games or not, we're like these zombies at the park, aren't we? kind of going about our lives, ceaselessly filling it up, fill every moment, busyness, whatever we can do, fill it with this presence of something that distracts us from the presence of God. And then we go through some trial, or we go through some suffering or a temptation to sin, and we go, God is not here. God is not here in the middle of this when what's really happened is we've forgotten or perhaps maybe even never known what his presence is actually like. But the good news is we can be in God's presence continually. Psalm Psalm 105, 4 says, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. And God commands us this because it's actually possible. We actually can seek his presence continually. And what's more than that, though, is that God is inviting us to enjoy his presence, inviting us to be in relationship with him. And the good news is ultimately that Jesus has made this all possible. He has made a way. The gospel of Jesus Christ Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, he comes and he takes on human flesh. And the Bible says he dwells among us. You know, his nickname is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus shows us what God dwelling with us is really all about, what it looks like. And then he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. He dies for these multiplied sorrows that we've received after chasing after other gods. And he ransoms us from their hold on our lives so that we are able to be freed and reconciled to God, brought into right relationship with him. And Jesus doesn't stay dead. He rises in triumph over all these enemies of ours. These other gods triumphs over death and he rises and ascends into heaven where he is seated today and will be until he returns one day and shows us that we will one day be with him for all eternity, present here on earth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And Jesus has not only reconciled us to God, but he's also given us of his Holy Spirit. It doesn't, relationship doesn't get any closer than that. 
He's given every Christian his Holy Spirit's presence to dwell within us. So now we cannot just have the desire to be present with him forever. He actually provides that joy and satisfaction to us today. Today. So when you find yourself clamoring for joy and you find yourself filling your life with all kinds of distractions and the presence of all sorts of different things like noise and activity, remember, you're seeking what you can only find in God's presence. And the question then for you is, and the question for me is, is God calling you to change your habits? Is God calling you to change your habits? Do you need to remove the noise and the distractions so you can actually become aware of God's presence all around you? If you filled every waking moment of your life with God's presence, what would need to change? What would you need to stop doing? And what would you need to start doing? I want to share with you some examples from my own life because this has been a big conviction of mine. It's part of why I'm preaching it. I'm preaching it to myself. Uh, and I want to just say before I start in on it, I'm a work in progress just like all of us are. I have not arrived, but I just want to share with you some examples of ways in which I have sought to grow in this way because I, like all of us, have been a zombie. <laughs> I I haven't been a a Pokemon Go zombie. I've been more of a podcast zombie. So uh, anybody here like that? Anybody like podcasts? Fill my life with the noise of podcasts constantly, constantly. Everywhere that I go, everything that I do, unless for some reason I can't be listening to something else, it's been podcast after podcast. I got the NPR One app, which I love. I got the podcast app of like... I don't even know how many I've followed over the months and years. Love listening to it. It, it, it. It's very compelling and interesting, and I feel like I'm joining in these conversations with these other people. Love Radiolab, Cultivated. I've even listened to sermons. So a lot of these things, not bad things. Good things. But I fill my life with it. And, and it's not just podcasts for me. Uh, I, I actually wake up every day and I go through like a militaristic regimen that I'm guessing some of you might be able to relate to. I don't wake up and go, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. I have so much joy in your presence right now. No, no, I, 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 I got rid of my digital alarm clock like 20 years ago and so my phone is my alarm clock and so what do I wake up to every single day? It's this device right here. But I don't just turn the alarm off I go and I got to check my message. Anybody send me a message since I went to bed last night? Because <laughs> if they did, it's really important. Uh, anybody send me any emails recently? What's going on on social media? What have people been saying and commenting and blah, 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 blah. Uh, what's happening with the weather? What am I going to have to wear today? What's going on in the news? Is there anything besides stuff about Donald Trump on there? What can I find in this device right now? It's, it's just this compulsive habit and then I'd check my phone 10,000 more times that day, not paying any attention to the people around me, let alone the presence of God. And so I cut most of it out, just cut it out. I had to, because that was the only way I could discipline myself. And, and I, did co- I did keep some technology that I believe is helpful to me, but I have to continually keep in check in my life and keep it from invading everything and controlling my habits and so forth. My family and I, we even fast from technology every night beginning at dinner time and then going into the night, unless we got a movie night or something like that. And then even one day a week, we fast from technology and we've become aware on those days, on my days off, of one another's presence. Like we don't have this thing distracting us. And then we also become collectively more aware of God's presence. It's just been amazing to see that. Of course, my kids do complain about it at times. So just to be real with you. But they also recognize the joy of it at the same time. Um, I've also sought to grow in prayerfulness. Uh, Stop at various points throughout my day and to just recognize God's presence. Just stop. 
You know, you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and it says that he would withdraw to lonely places to just spend time with the Father. You might have heard that or read that. Uh, So he's doing this kind of silence and solitude thing, right? It's more away from people. But then he'll be in the middle of doing life and ministry and stuff. And out of nowhere, it seems, he just bursts out into a prayer out loud. He's like, Father, thank you. Right? And it's almost like all the people who are there around him are now being brought into this conversation that's been going on in the background all along. And I've been so inspired by that. Jesus just seems to be in God's presence all the time, just enjoying it. And so it's inspired me to kind of carve out some specific time with the Father, so some journaling, some silence and solitude and stuff. But also, as I just go about my day trying to uh, do tasks or do ministry or wash the dishes or make dinner or mow the lawn or spend time with friends or family, all of these things, I'm just trying to incorporate prayerfulness, incorporate talking to God, enjoying Him. So as I said, I've not arrived here. I'm just telling you these things because I think they might be helpful. These are some ways in which I'm trying to apply this stuff to my own life. And I'm guessing that maybe there's some practical ways that you need to apply this stuff to your own life. But it will require some significant adjustments. (laughs) And probably adjustments to habits that are so subversive you just don't really think about it. So it's just this mindfulness to build awareness of God's presence. In closing, David shows us that as we invite God's presence in the here and the now, we're actually practicing for eternity, where we will be with him forever. Look at verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. So raise your hand if you experience ceaseless pleasure from your relationship with God right now. No? Me either, good, because you guys make me feel guilty if you raise your hand right now. Uh, Now raise your hand if your relationship with him kind of ebbs and flows, and some days you even wake up without even considering him. Is that you? Yep. That's me as well. Even though I do experience a great degree of joy in my relationship with him at times, but it does. It goes up and it goes down. Sometimes I just get really, really discouraged. This week was one of those weeks. I'm an Enneagram one, which for those of you who don't know what that means, did somebody laugh? Okay, are you one? Yes, all right, I met another one earlier. I think Pastor Shane is the one. So you guys are like, what are you talking about? This is weird. If you, haven't, if you don't know what that means, Enneagram is just it's a personality profile. And, and it, in that case, basically Enneagram ones are people who want justice and good and rightness and equity and ethics and all that kind of stuff. They just want the world to work the way that God has made it to work. Okay, that's how I want to see things. And yet, I'm living in this broken world. My own heart, my own life, the people around me, people I love. But bigger than that, I mean, this world is falling apart ecologically, politically, sociologically, relationally. It's just broken, right? It does not work. And this week I got super discouraged by that. I felt like I was just in this pit and I could not get out and enjoy God's presence, which was ironic since I was preparing for this message. (laughs) But what I realized and I remembered is... God's presence, the joy that we get to experience, the pleasure we get to experience of his presence today is also mixed with sin's presence. It's not pure. (laughs) We also experience the presence of evil. But until Jesus returns, this will be the case. The pleasures of God's presence will come and they will go. But when he does return... It'll be forevermore. It'll go on forever. And David is showing us that there's no end to the joy in God's presence. No end. And these brief experiences of that joy in this life are meant to make us long for what we will experience in eternity. So I just want to try and illustrate that for you. How many of you have ever been to uh, 
a, a concert at Benaroy Hall before? Any of you? Or just a big, like a classical music concert? Think about this. You go to, the, you go to Benaroy Hall in, as a particular example, and it's, it's incredible, isn't it? You get to hear this group of people kind of this unity playing as one, and they don't even have amplification, but you can just feel the music in your gut. It's incredible, right? But think about this. The joy that you experience in this life is so limited because it's a symphony being played by fallen instruments, performed by fallen musicians, composed by fallen composers, and heard by fallen ears. And so if you just think of how great the joy of that experience is in this life, it is nothing in in comparison to the joy that we will experience in our future life. At God's right hand, it is pleasures forevermore. Heavenly music heard by heavenly ears. And this is that hope that we have to look forward to. So we seek God's presence continually today, knowing that that joy will be even fuller and more pure on that day. So why would we look for that joy anywhere else today? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the joy that we have in relationship with you. We thank you even for how you're ministering to us right now. You're not shaming us (laughs) about these different ways in which we seek joy in other places. But God, you're just drawing us into relationship with you. I pray that that you would do that for each person here. We get to enjoy your presence right now in this moment and as we respond to you together and help us to draw more near to you as we go about our everyday lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, can we say thank you to Joel for teaching us today? Appreciate you so much, man. There's like a, there's like a, a bunch of convictions for me as I hear that, but I'll, I'll share with you just one briefly. Um, I haven't, between a couple of guest preachers, Pastor Shane, the Psalm service, we did, I, haven't preached, I haven't preached in a month. And I promised myself I wouldn't start right now. But uh, just a brief, you'll forgive me, a minor miniature sermonette. No, I haven't preached in a month, and actually around that same time, too, I finished, I've been working for a number of years on a theological degree, a master's degree, and I finished that. So for the last month, I haven't preached, and I have not written a paper for school in a month. And what that did for me, we talked about like making major changes, what that did for me is it realized that my relationship with the Scripture for a while has largely been, I read the Bible to tell somebody else something about the Bible. And I was convicted anew and refreshed anew that I need to go to the Bible in, in, in that one way, that one particular spiritual discipline, to know my God and to love my God and to experience relationship with my God. So I've been reading, I read the Minor Prophets. I, I am currently reading the book of Exodus. I don't plan on preaching Exodus anytime soon. Maybe, I hope not ever. I don't know. It's, 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 it's hard. I don't want, I don't want to. <laughs> First half's easy. Stories, judgment, Pharaoh, got it. Second half, commandments, sticky stuff. Okay. But here's the point. God might want to do something disruptive in your life that to yourself, to those who are closest to you might look like, man, what are you doing? But when you really get a hold of what our brother Joel was just sharing with us, there's more joy for you. God wants more joy for you than you want for yourself. So be open to the work that he wants to do in your life. I'm going to stop now because I'll preach next week. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a time of response. And I love that reminder that God is with us right here, right now, as we enter into this time of response. So think about that as we, as we go through these various movements of response. The first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and of our offerings. If you're a guest or a visitor with us, we do not believe in arm twisting or, or guilt or obligation. The scripture is clear that each is to give cheerfully as God leads them to. And so if the financial stewards would please collect the offering, I'm just going to invite you. For some of you, maybe it's not technology. Maybe for some of you, it's money. Money is where you seek your joy and your, your joy rises and falls with the account balance that you check. 
And so today is a day for you to offer as worship to God, not to earn his love, but in loving response to his grace. Say, God, I'm giving you of my finances because I don't want to find my joy in them. I want to find deeper joy into you. So maybe that's for you today. We're also going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate communion together. And, and you should have received the, the, the bread and the cup on your way through the door. And so if you have those elements, I'm going to turn your attention to what, what Jesus says to us and what we hear from, from the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, that when Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. Think about this. This is amazing to me. We're going to welcome our younger students class in here to join us as well. But Jesus took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. That Jesus took on flesh and came to be with us. Is that, that should never cease to just blow our minds. God with us, as Pastor Joel said a minute ago, God with us in the flesh of Jesus. And that body was broken for our sins. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood. And I really loved what what Joel said, that, that we get to experience God's presence, not just his omnipresence, like he's just around us, but we get to experience covenantal, face to face relationship and presence because of this blood that was spilled and what this cup means for us. Isn't that incredible, church? So as you eat and as you drink today, may it be a sign to you, even a means of experiencing his grace and his presence with us. In a moment, we'll I'll invite the, 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 the band to, to begin to just play, to allow you a moment to just reflect, to, to take a couple of deep breaths, to, to, to remind yourself in your heart that God is present here with us right now, and he's given us the bread and the cup as a tangible way to remind us that this is eternally true in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul invites us to examine ourselves. Don't don't eat or drink in an unworthy manner, but examine yourself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those of you who are here today, uh, you're not a a follower of Jesus. You've never come into God's presence through Jesus. Two things. Number one, I would invite you to abstain. Maybe just reflect, ponder, think about this that we as Christians are doing. But for those of you who are feeling that draw of the Holy Spirit, you know what's better than abstaining? Pull a chair up to the table. God wants you to enter into right relationship with him, into his presence through the death of Jesus that we celebrate here at the table. For those of you who are Christians, I'll invite you to just prayerfully let God examine your heart and then in a moment we'll stand together and and, and conclude our time with singing. Would you join with me in prayer? God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his work on the cross in our place for our sins, for our redemption, that we might be in God's presence. What an amazing thought. What an absolutely incredible thought. God, you are holy and we are so sinful, but because of the fact that we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we can now boldly enter into the throne of grace. Help us to respond to you now in worship and in joy. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.